Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film is dire- uh, director David Cronenberg's Maps to the Stars. I listened to the entire audio commentary on this, Lloyd. Uh, by, I rented it on DVD. By Bruce Wagner. By Bruce Wagner. Oh, awesome. Yep. So the Australian edition definitely has the audio commentary because it yes. doesn't say that on any of the advertising online. And so I was like, oh, I'll have to get the UK one because if you look up Amazon UK, it says it's got audio commentary. And because it's yep. such an obscure movie, no one's really done a DVD review on it yet. So that's great to hear, Dave. I'm definitely going to be picking up the Australian version then. Yeah, I've got a few notes from that. I just should mention that we're going to be talking about Maps to the Stars with spoilers. This is a movie that's very easily spoiled. So uh, if you haven't seen the film, uh, we recommend checking it out before listening to this podcast. Lloyd, uh, you wanted to watch this one. It's getting tons of hate online. <laughs> yeah, well, David Cronenberg has been wanting to make Maps of Stars for the, for a long time. I remember checking his IMDb DB page for like the last 10 years, and I always saw Maps of the Stars as announced. So it's great to finally see it. I was so excited. Every Cronenberg film for me is like a huge event, as you know, Dave. I, I was really disappointed with the release of this film. It had a very, very limited release in fact i think it only played in film festivals here in australia i I always try to see movies at the cinema i I just think there's more information on the screen and the film has more of an effect on me or that's just me i could get into it but i won't um unfortunately in canberra um small movies like maps of the stars just you know it's very um unlikely it's going to be shown and it's really disappointing because um mia vasikowska if i'm pronouncing that correctly she's from canberra we should be and she's a great actress this is one of her best performances this should be a big banner you know on every cinema hey come watch this movie has mia vasikowska in a great starring role but you know it's i'm I'm gonna try and uh, pronounce it correctly because in the audio commentary i wrote this down it's vasikowska yeah, I, I think that's a Polish name, but you don't say W Was, so. you say Vas. Vash. Vashakowska. <laughs> which I think I've mispronounced on this podcast before. No, that's so. I think everyone has mispronounced that last name. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um Bruce Wagner v- Wagner or is it Wagner? I, I, I say <laughs> I Wagner. Think it's Wagner. Now now I'm, I'm tortured. <laughs> <laughs> um he he describes this uh, as about it it's about a dysfunctional family. Does he say much about that in the podcast? How he summarizes it? A little bit. Uh, I want to kind of roll through the movie and and discuss it as we go. Yeah, sure. Um, But I thought this was actually a pretty stunning performance from Julianne Moore. Oh, oh, yeah. I I really want to see the movie she won the Academy Award for. Uh, Mark Commode has been championing this film championing this film if I'm pronouncing that word correctly a Champion, l- yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot saying she should win the academy award for maps to the stars and funny enough yeah. she did win the academy award but it wasn't for maps to the stars so I really want Still Alice, sure. Yeah, I want to see Still Alice, like, right away. Because after this movie, I'm now a huge Julian Moore fan. You know that scene in the bathroom where she's in the toilet, you know, you know, going to the toilet. Making requests, yeah. <laughs> and she's having a full conversation, you know. And you see her utilise the 
toilet like i don't know of too many movies that actually has that where she grabs the toilet paper and you know does a business and everything a lot of actors when they um when they approached david cronenberg to ask the role that's the first scene they brought up and uh, david cronenberg had a lot of discussions with that going okay i can't believe you know these great actresses he didn't name names had issues with that and julian moore never brought it up as a problem just talked about it okay how do you want me to do this she had no fear completely fearless I mean, with that kind of character, though, there's only so many ways you can make her seem inappropriate. Um, And that's a big one. Like, (laughs) there's a lot in that scene. The fact that she's talking about uh, her assistant's love life, ultimately that she winds up, you know, sleeping with her boyfriend. Um, But she's sort of fishing for information and stuff about it while she's sitting on the toilet. Like, it, it has no value to her. And there's a whole, you know, I'm better than you. This is almost like the person walking behind the elephant who has to clean up behind it, you know? Yeah. Julianne Moore is the elephant in this situation. Yeah, she, she's got a sinister aspect to her. She's a really awful, repulsive character. Um, and, yeah, those scenes have so many layers. Like, it's just like a you know screwing with her head sort of thing she wants to get to her soul like the fact that she has to sleep now with the limousine driver the boyfriend like she just has to do it she has to belittle this person at every chance she can get you know it's uh, really dark stuff there well mia vashakowska's character has the burns and so immediately she's a lesser person to julianne moore's character because she's you know physically disfigured yeah and uh, therefore she values her less. And then when she finds out that she has a boyfriend in the car with Robert Pattinson's character in the limo, she requests him personally. She kind of fishes for information about, like, is my skin better than hers and yeah. stuff? Because she has to know that she is better than Mia Vaskowska, which is pretty horrible, really. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, some but dark is... stuff, man. <laughs> my issue with this film. I should say, first of all, is that there's no anchor in this film, no sort of moral, normal person for the audience to relate to because it's this world of Hollywood and I'm not in Hollywood and I don't know if this is accurate. Um, I've got a nice quote from John Cusack that basically spells out how accurate this is in a sec. But I wanted to say we we did a review of Rubber, the uh, killer tire movie. At the time, I watched and uh, I was like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> this isn't a film for me, you know. I had exactly the same reaction to Maps to the Stars. But this time, which I did not do on the Rubber podcast, uh, a little bit regrettably, but I wanted to kind of delve deeper into it. I wanted to try and understand what I was seeing and uh, appreciate Maps to the Stars. Like, I mean, this isn't, this isn't made for entertainment, you know. This is made to make a point. It's a statement piece by David Cronenberg. It's like a scathing, darkly comic satire, right? Of our um, our obsession with celebrity and, you know. Yeah, it's, making, it's like all the actors... Um, it's the desperation of the characters to be seen. Actors who are big at one point, then they just disappear... And but but they're still alive, but in a way they have died. Their celebrity has died, and Julian Moore like embodies a character who does not want to die, um, you know. And the the characters were so repulsive, but at the same time very intriguing, um, but ultimately really tragic. And I think that's ultimately what this movie is. It's a tragedy, a really brutal love letter, as you say, of Hollywood and the monsters that inhabit it. You know. Well, I'll do the quote from John Cusack. This is from the extra features of the DVD. 
This is an interview with John Cusack. He says, The most savage, meanest indictment, deconstruction of Hollywood and fame and secrets, and the whole toxic brew that exists in Los Angeles. I thought it was probably the most savage take I'd ever read on it. Wow, ever. <laughs> That's coming from John Cusack as well. And he's been doing movies since the 80s, yeah. you know. So he's sort of seen it come and go, and he has gone, whoa, that's the stars. We've <laughs> got to do this movie because and, of and that. And look at the power of Cronenberg. Like, this is a script you could not make in Hollywood. Like, you could just could not make this movie um, inside the studio system. And one, and Cronenberg obviously has been trying for 10 years to get this movie made. Finally, he does it on a $13 million budget. But you got Cronenberg's name attached to it. Look at the power he can summon to this. Like, everyone just signed on right away. Um, for I'm assuming for almost no money, like nothing. And look at the cast he's got. It's really impressive. I can agree with that. I like John Cusack a lot. I'm a big High Fidelity fan, really, which is... Yeah, yeah. You know, I always like to see him take on new roles. Did you think this was kind of a slow movie, though? I had no idea where this was going. Like, I I had no idea what scene was going to come up. I had no idea what the characters were going to do. Like, there was a scene where the actors are literally like the Justin Bieber-esque... I don't want to say he's a Justin Bieber-esque character, because the screenplay was written well before Justin Bieber, but... Um, that's what all the reviews are saying about him. But there's literally a scene where he's talking with his friends and they're just talking about shit, about how you can, how people will sell, how people will buy uh, one of the characters' um, extrament, you know? And he's uh, had diarrhea and he was making a lot of money. And they're literally talking about crap, you know? So yeah. it's just like, okay, is, is this a statement on, on Hollywood, you know? What am I watching here? Um, so I, I had no idea where this was going to go. I had no idea where this was, um, how this was going to end so I, I can't say i found it slow i just was in a maze getting lost and i love that feeling I, I, a good movie for me is when it breaks that three act sort of structure and doesn't go by the the standard conventions of typical hollywood movies and nothing against that i think i love hollywood movies action movies but now and then i love to take this turn into the darkness and go okay david take me for this ride i want to i, I want to you know go into this deep dark abyss of the soul <laughs> Yeah, they. It's interesting. They their output those um, those actors or whoever they are, their output is literally shit. The people are buying. <laughs> that, that's that's saying you know, the thing that they're selling the product they're making their money from is shit. You know, it's um, yes, it is uh, quite surreal to watch that scene as well. Like, you don't introduce a gun without firing yeah that, that's a classic hitchcock thing you show the bomb yeah. and it has to blow up and when the dog gets shot i'm like oh wasn't that an awful ugly scene you know just yeah. so awful like who do you like in this movie exactly like the only good character that seems normal is the limo driver um you know uh and interestingly yeah, yeah. The, the guy who did the audio commentary bruce wagner used to be a limo driver yeah. and like <laughs> that's the connection there so he's written that character and it's him basically it's like autobiographical he got to sleep with beautiful aging stars (laughs) i guess he might and let's talk about the sex on that how extreme it was you literally see a guy naked and masturbating um you know watching these two girls making out i've you know just never seen that before apparently um in uh, history of violence uh the opening scene of that with vigo mortensen and the very beautiful guy i can't believe i'm forgetting a name maria bella yeah that's her and they have a 69 um on screen and that's like the first time ever that 
that's been on a Hollywood, uh, sorry, on a, an American movie or an English speaking movie. Apparently, I don't know how true that is, but I heard that on the audio commentary. Like he's, like this is the director who gave us Crash of the '90s. You know, he's not afraid to go in these places. But that scene alone, I found that very confronting <laughs> as well. You know. Yeah, watching a, a man masturbate. <laughs> well, just how willing the actors were to go in that direction, how willing the director was to, to show that, you know. It's just like, okay, well, all right. Mm, I've got no I problem with so. male nudity. It's just, you know, that, okay, this is where we're going. All the gloves are off, so to speak. Yeah. Perhaps it was the way it was shot as well. Yeah. It was of a low angle on the... <laughs> the man this is uh interestingly uh cronenberg's first movie in hollywood in a 40 plus year career he has never yeah. made a, Amer- uh, a movie in american soil let alone in hollywood where these dream the big massive dream machine that makes big hollywood movies and oh my gosh what it's a hell of a one to start with <laughs> since you're basically shooting at hollywood if, if, aren't you? yeah if i if i was to um, get a chance to meet David Cronenberg and talk about this film with him the first thing I'll ask is oh what differences did you find from shooting in Canada to shooting in Hollywood were, were the things that you liked were the things that you disliked I'm assuming there's a lot of things he found he didn't like because I just hear horror stories shooting in Los Angeles you got to pay a permit for everything and I'm assuming in Canada they, they really love Cronenberg in Canada I'm assuming they just give him you know yeah yeah go nuts free ride <laughs> well some of this movie was shot in Canada oh, okay um yeah, the scenes on location were all shot in Los Angeles. Like when they went to the restaurant and saw Carrie Fisher, which was a bizarre cameo. But uh, all the stuff they sort of need to be in Hollywood for, uh, the driving around the limo and seeing palm trees and things like that, I suppose. Whereas the Canadian stuff was the interiors. You know how Julianne Moore has that award, which plays into the final act of the film? Yep. That That's a Canadian award like the Canadian Oscars I suppose yeah. that you know you would only recognize if you were Canadian that's in the audio commentary as well the big issue i had with this movie is david cronenberg didn't handle the ghost theme well like for a man who was easily one of the great kings of horror like the horror genre of cinema owes david cronenberg so much like anyone who insults the horror genre saying it's dumb and brainless you pull out the david cronenberg card and that just flattens that um you know for a master of horror the ghost theme was handled really poorly like i understand that there's that these are deeply disturbed characters and julian moore is haunted by her mother who dies young and beautiful a very beautiful actress who plays her by the way and who was a phenomenal actor and she can't escape that shadow and i'm sure that goes on with a lot of actors or artists who are just trying to live up to their legendary parents and then you have that justin bieber character who's haunted by these younger people and it, it, for a ghost theme it I, I, there's just something about it that just wasn't eerie that um, was just a weird externalization of something that I think could have been told better, you know, like a voice in the head. I, I don't know. It just it was just a weird, like, oh, that's a ghost, you know. It just took me out of it a lot. Well, Benji, the son, uh, the Justin Bieber character, if you will, uh, he sees Mika or Micah, yep. the the boy who drowned. He has a connection to the girl. He met her at the hospital, but he didn't ever meet that boy that drowned. So. That is kind of saying that they're actually ghosts and not figments of his imagination because he wouldn't have been able to put together the drowned boy who he'd never met and he'd never heard about, you know. Interestingly, in the audio commentary, they do talk about the ghosts. See, uh, Mr. Wagner believes in ghosts, whereas Mr. Cronenberg does not. Wow. So the, the script being written, 
Uh, the ghosts tend to represent the dark recesses of our mind. Mm-hmm. And Cronenberg tried to treat it like a group hallucination or psychosis. Uh, he doesn't believe in ghosts, basically. So I guess maybe that's why it's come across. Bit confused, bit mishandled. mishandled. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the screenwriter went, yep, there are ghosts. And he accepted that reality. And, you know. Interesting. Yeah. So that's just a difference in the creativity, I suppose. Like the screenplay had ghosts. <laughs> There we go. Ghosts. Um, and another scene I want to say that was really poorly handled, and I, I just want to highlight this because it took me out of the movie, um, and I, I, I just like I just want to expect more from David Cronenberg because he is a master of horror. Like this is the guy who gave us Scanners, The Fly, um, uh, Naked Lunch. Like his makeup and horror effects are amazing. Was the fire scene at the end where? Oh yeah, I've heard some online reviews about. Oh, that. wasn't that a horrible scene? Like. It looks so fake it took me out of the movie. I read some justification for it that it was all in John Cusack's head. That that right. So that's why it's... Uh, but uh, I don't know, man. Like, it just took me... Like, uh, all I thought was, wow, that is the worst CGI I've seen since 1998. <laughs> We're talking yeah, late 90s CGI. And nothing to pay out the 90s, Saving Private Ryan and Jurassic Park, early 90s, one of the greatest CGIs of all time. But we all know what we're talking about, the bad rendering of fire. It looks like a first draft. It's like, okay, when can you show me the final effect? Oh, that That is the final. Oh. <laughs> I mean, since it was CGI, basically, um, I kind of would have preferred maybe a stunt woman on fire, but that involved a bigger reaction than just sitting there, you know, completely still. I suppose they would have had to have motion movement. But um, yes, it it has been mentioned online a few times. The poor CGI. I, I, I could not sit in the editing room and go, all right, yep, let's uh, run that and uh, project it next week. Um, That's our final edit. I couldn't do it. Like, I'd look at that and go, okay, guys, do this again. This is pathetic. This isn't working. But uh, I don't know. Like, um, I, I, no disrespect to David Cronin because I, I love the guy. Um, But that scene really took me out of the movie. It was so jarring. Yeah. That, um, that actress is quite good in... Um, Dollhouse. I haven't seen Dollhouse. You keep telling me it's a really good movie. Just uh, good series. Just Whedon's uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Only only two um, seasons, and it sort of has to pick up quickly in parts to um, you know get through the story. But uh, yeah, she's basically in charge of the Dollhouse. So she, uh, I was looking at her going, oh, I recognize her from somewhere. I had to think about it for a moment, just because that's the only other thing I've seen her in. It's so eerie. John Cusack and her are brother and sister. Yes, the incest secret. Isn't that weird? It's just... <laughs> like, nothing gets... You know, if that's your thing, you know, nothing gets that. But it was just such a weird layer, like how it comes up. You're just like, ugh. Well, they didn't know yeah, they- what they say, <laughs> you know? They didn't know. It does seem like now it's loveless. It's not as if they're in love with each yeah. other. They've had two children before they found out that they were brother and sister, and now it seems to have ruined their relationship. And... um the fact that everyone's going to find out is what leads her to kill herself with the fire. So she's clearly living in um, hell because of it, you know. And whereas John Cusack's character, who's a motivational speaker, he thinks that something like that could bury his career. So he doesn't want it coming out. Look, this is actually like a true thing. People do find out, you know, their brother and sister with the person they're dating. Uh, there's a few cases about it. I don't have anything in front of me, but I remember like a few of them popping up on news websites and stuff. Sure, you know it's it's a thing that happens. I suppose people donate sperm, people put up kids for adoption, and 
and maybe people are drawn to people with the same DNA as them. You know, yeah. it's, it's an oddity, but you know that's what happens yeah it just added uh, and the point where you discover that it just adds a really dark layer to the relationship between the two you know between children. yeah between the two children it just adds yeah. a very interesting dimension that they're they're doomed from the get-go so to speak um i don't know just really strange yeah and um because the daughter is aware of it but i don't know if the son is aware of it yeah she seems to be shielding him from the horrible truth but he also seems so willing to sort of go with her by the end like he's worn down um to the point where he doesn't mind dying with her Mm. but part of that obviously is the horribleness of how he chokes the little yeah yeah and he treats that kid so awful as well yeah and that's maybe part of that is hollywood like yeah i think there's a lot of truth in that yeah yeah definitely but I mean, to think at that age, you're worried about someone outperforming you, you know, in like a kidsy kind of movie and he's getting X million dollars for it. Anyway. Yeah, it's weird because I've never been in a position of fame, so I could never understand that level of jealousy. But yeah, you're right. Like he's such a young kid, like um, at a very young age and a very vulnerable age, he's been given, you know, all this money and I'm sure all the girls and all the drugs available to him and all the fame really messes up a person's psychology and it's interesting we, we're seeing um a breakdown in a way with um uh the girl hannah montana M- uh, miley, oh, cyrus? miley, Is it miley cyrus? cyrus yeah you're seeing kind of a breakdown of her we saw it with britney spears um and we're kind of Amanda seeing Bynes, yeah we're Lindsay kind of seeing Lohan. with justin bieber um you know so i guess there's a lot of truth in that sense and i'm sure there's a lot of back um backstage stuff that we only hear glimmers of so i think there's a lot of truth in this character which is very very disturbing yeah, they did the roast of Justin Bieber recently and it seems a bit like he's going to reinvent himself now and say, you know, be a bit more normal and less egg-throwing and stuff. It seems like a very PR-based move, though. Yeah, you know, absolutely. To have the roast, close that chapter on his silly childhood. Whereas Lindsay Lohan, Amanda Bynes, um, certain people don't seem to be able to shake the crazy image, you know. Britney Spears has seemed to have um, grown up a bit, yeah. but... I did see something with, just to finish this thought, I did see something with Miley Cyrus where it's all a bit of an act, all the craziness, and she genuinely knows that, you know, she's not Hannah Montana and this radicalism changing her needs to be done to sort of, you know, become herself. Yeah, well, she's, yeah, definitely to hit a sense of maturity. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, it it takes a, a savage stab at the parents and uh, we're seeing like a really inside look of the big royalty and the, uh, I, I emphasize royalty of Los Angeles which is the Kardashians and you got a reality show um, of the Kardashians and they have become the characters that they portray now I know it's a reality show but obviously they play up their characters to the camera but they have become those people I, I really do believe if you were to meet them in real life and talk to them they are what you see on the reality show you know they've become the characters that they've you know invented so to speak Mm. and it's really interesting the turn that the parents are making like are they that aggressive to their children and you're seeing uh, i know a more twisted sense of reality with the husband becoming a girl now um and and everything like that of the father i should say it's a really um 
interesting world Hollywood like I, I don't I've been there myself you've been there Dave but we haven't of course had an insider's look at everything but I, I don't agree with it it's just being a very dark cesspool like this film depicts I, I can't agree with that but it is a very strange psychology there fame and fortune and all that it's just a weird thing well I think part of it was the writer grew up in Hollywood exactly yeah and he knew spoiled kids and you know he did drive a limo and he probably felt just on the outside of this community you know and some of this must be speculation you know that what these people might have been like and yeah obviously he wasn't one of these spoiled kids because he was able to separate himself from are you going to read any of his books uh, i don't know i'm in uh, i read a book recently called uh, the girl on the train which uh, is being adapted into a film and i want to talk about on our next upcoming films podcast yep i'm reading nick hornby's new book uh, i got a few books lined up and um, but but this film hasn't initiated that interest not not really um as i said i i didn't enjoy this film to start with and i'm i'm trying to understand it trying to like take away its message which is what i didn't do with rubber so like i'm still kind of unpacking it yeah and uh, i i think that's one of those films that over time it'll be seen as a classic but it was so confronting and dark and uh, you know, it, it's. I think it's just going to take a longer time for us to process it, and I really don't want to play that card, guys. But um, if you haven't seen it, it's such a confronting movie. Takes you in all kinds of different directions and shows you things you just don't want to see or know. So yeah, it's going to take some time for us to give a really. You know, if people ask, "Oh, have you seen Maps of Size?" Yeah, I, I, I'll say definitely check it out. But you know, just be warned. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are scenes that are difficult to watch. They talk a bit on the audio commentary about the scene where John Cusack punches his own daughter. Oh, that, that was point. awful, yeah. In the stomach, yeah. wasn't it? A body shot. Yeah, oh. and he's just kind, of, just kind of wailing on her, isn't he? And just, I don't know, there's something very uncomfortable about that. Like, there's no love between them at all. Yeah. You see a very ugly, animalistic um, aspect there to, to the characters. And, and as well, yeah. there's a when Mia Vasikowska is hitting, um, you know, uh, what's-her-name over the head with that, um, that, that trophy, that award. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was so... She did it with some cold calculating, you know, just over and over again. And then the cut, um, how David Cronenberg cuts back to... Um, oh my gosh, Gillian Moore and her, the blood trickling down her face and the body twitching its last glimpses of life before, you know, it yeah. actually dies is just ugly. It's so, as ugly as the characters that inhabit this film. It's so brutal. But when she's swinging that award, uh, it's a point of view shot for us and so it's like she's hitting us with the award. Yeah. So he's savaging Hollywood, Cronenberg here. He's punishing us for making it so successful and creating these false idols, you know. I feel like the whole film is a big statement about this and attacking us with the award is like saying, what are you doing? You know, you've done this. You've made people this crazy, you know? Look, I could talk a little bit about the the shots in this though because the camera didn't move very much. It was very static, you know? V which, very typical for a Cronenberg movie, yeah. I know, which is probably what made me think it was uh, a bit slower in pace. And maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe I noticed that, maybe I didn't. Yeah, it's but. interesting because uh, in, in this day and age, we're seeing like a Michael Bay 
sort of style with very rapid shots you know i'm sure they shoot over and over again close-up extreme close-up long shot and cronenberg you know is more classical in a sense although he uses utilizes a very unorthodox technique of extreme close-up with close-ups with a wide angle lens so you're really confronted with the human face but yeah you're right the style is a classical 40s style almost where it you know we're staying on a long shot we're staying on a mid shot it's not rapidly cutting we're not seeing a lot of steady cam shots to me i love that style but yeah absolutely in this day and age when we're used to um the the standard um of of television and movies where it's much more rapid the camera's moving has a lot more activity you're right it just seems everything's just slowed down yeah which i mean you know you get to know the minutiae of it but um look one other thing that annoyed me just while we're unpacking this in interstellar for example they use that poem rage rage against the light dying of the light yeah by dylan thomas over over and over repetition and there was a poem in this that i know you want to talk about (laughs) yeah I'll, i'll bring it up now um so the poem is liberté or liberty uh bruce wagner originally discovered the poem and used it to woo a woman um he put it as an uh, epigraph in his novel uh force majeure dedicating it to this woman with the poem you know and hope to impress her and in the original draft of maps of stars it was used quite a lot and i think they took it out in like a second draft but david cronenberg then took it again took it back again and said it had a lot of meaning the poem was written by paul eluard during the nazi occupation of france he wrote it as a form of freedom from the nazis but when he when the writer actually did initially write it it was meant for a woman but of course it mutated you know due to the times the nazi occupation but in this film it takes on a more sinister role it's like an emblem of liberty for the kids which the liberty is death um and i think great poems have universal meaning meanings and can change with the times and still have significance and in this film i think it still remains as a love poem in a sense and just uh just the beginnings of it so you know just to remind you guys who have seen it uh on my notebook from on my notebooks from school on my desk and the trees on the sand on the snow i write your name on every page read on all white sheets stone blood paper or ash i write your name and it goes on and on and like that it's a very beautiful poem but the repetition of it you're right i think um it was overused just a couple of times i think would have really hit home but you know when they start saying that mantra over again i seriously thought she was a a witch casting a spell when she was taking the tablets (laughs) yeah there was a bit of that and that dance she does while uh, she's watching john cusack's infomercial was all improvised as well yeah just there was something hypnotic about the poem but it was repeated too much the same way the poem wasn't interstellar for me yeah that's a that's a really good comparison dave yeah i don't like to have like too many things like to be hit over the head with an idea yeah because i'm like all right i get it (laughs) we're emphasizing that you know a couple of times is plenty and and have every character saying lines from it and stuff i was like come on i just want to talk a little bit about golden globes here this was nominated for a Golden Globe for musical or comedy, apparently. So Julianne Moore was nominated for Best Actress for musical or comedy, right? Yep. And obviously this is not a musical, so it is considered a comedy. Did you laugh, the Golden Globe. <laughs> I, I don't think I so. I don't think I um, laughed at all, but... Um uh, Mark Commode describes in his review he laughed a couple of times but it was like a laugh like oh should I be laughing like you question yourself mm. laughing like it's a at black the comedy yes 
But it's sort of like, you know, incest isn't funny. Murder isn't funny. Strangling children isn't funny. Getting lit on fire isn't funny. Taking a poo and having a long conversation really is strange. (laughs) Assaulting your child, sexual abuse. Um, Not only when the son or the boy drowns, but then doing a happy dance about how he drowns, which is horrible. Obviously, she's going to get apart because of it, and that's supposed to be humorous, but... I mean, it's not funny. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it quite falls in that category. I think it's the tragedy of the characters, like in, in particular in the scene when John Cusack, when you first see John Cusack and the family, and they're having dinner at the table, and he goes on about the Dalai Lama, and I think one of the words was it just stuck in my head, "gugu kachu," if I'm pronouncing mm. that correctly. Just the absurdity, the dis. Um, I don't know. They're just not a close family. They're so disengaged. Everyone's got a different thing. Whether they're one's constantly drinking or smoking, and in her own world, protecting their boy, making sure he gets fame, making sure the money stream keeps coming in, and then he's on this really strange path to get some form of healing. Like it's funny in a sense because they're so absurd, so tragic. Julian Moore is this fading star, but she's doing everything she can to maintain, you know, this this celebrity to to stay relevant and it's so tragic um it becomes comedic in a way but i have to admit i didn't laugh once in the film no and uh, i'm gonna bring up another line from the audio commentary uh he's discussing the ending which is kind of like a romeo and juliet ending with the the two children lying there having overdosed on drugs the quote is this is the saddest scene in the film for me It certainly gives the lie to anyone who says this movie is a satire or a comedy. It is a suicide pact scene between a brother and sister. So he doesn't think it's a comedy either. (laughs) So it's really, like, misshelved here. This is, um, yeah, a real sticking point for me if it's supposed to be. uh, Like, I mean, as a black comedy, as a sort of, you know, laughing because I think it should be more as a drama, maybe. I feel a drama, yeah. yeah. I uh, I did think about how this film would be different if it was directed by somebody different. Um, maybe if Tarantino had directed, for example, you know, uh, Mia Wasikowska's character would have been the girl with the long black gloves and she would have been walking to cool music <laughs> with sunglasses. Julianne Moore would have been smoking in slow motion, you know. The film would have had, like, a kick-ass musical score. And then this would have been a big hit with the box office big built-in audience and the point of the film would have worked probably better you know i feel like because it's cronenberg because it's had a lousy release because people will go oh robert pattinson's in it oh but he's not a vampire in this one don't (laughs) worry it's going to be buried really uh it's very difficult probably to insult like you're biting the hand that feeds you when you're going oh here's this hollywood movie about how terrible hollywood is now release it for us you know? They're not going to release that. Yeah, he he's not going to go out of work, Cronenberg. Like this is he's never made a movie for Hollywood in the studio system, and it looks like he never will. I don't think. Um, like everyone goes, oh no, The Fly was a Hollywood movie. It actually wasn't. He did that. Um, like I think the studio released it, but it was definitely through other um, European or Canadian means. Like he did it, but yeah, he's he's definitely not going to go out of work. But you're right. You know, <laughs> Hollywood's not going to release a very savage film on their industry yeah look um just pointing it out as well julianne moore's character doesn't wash her hands after going to the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i think the moral of the story is you don't hire someone you just met on the internet (laughs) the end (laughs) 
Look, next time on the podcast, Furious 7, Lloyd, we're back for the seventh installment. Yep, I've, I've been busy watching all um, from one... Uh, from I only saw up to number two, so I watched three, four, five, and six in preparation to set for seven, so I can't wait. I'm happy to report I watched uh, one, two, three, and four at the movies. Number five... Well, we went, uh, my wife and I went to watch Something Borrowed, which is this terrible romantic comedy with Kate Hudson and Jennifer Goodwin. And it was one of the worst movies we've ever seen. (laughs) So bad, in fact, that we walked from that cinema into another cinema, not caring what it was, uh, to watch whatever was starting next. And it was Fast Five. So we sat down to watch Fast Five and obviously thoroughly enjoyed it. That was the first movie with The Rock. And um, probably enjoyed it even more because we just watched this terrible (laughs) romantic comedy that we both hated. Um, There was not a romantic comedy, not as advertised at all. So uh, I watched uh, number six on TV the other night. I'm guessing the entire film was cut down a little bit, but um, I got the idea. So hopefully there's no big plot holes I've missed from the London Adventure. And I'm all ready to go with number seven. (laughs) Let's gear up. Gear up. Well played. (laughs) We'll get all our car jokes out in the next <laughs> podcast. But um, tune in, guys, and you can find more uh, at our YouTube channel. Podmeifyoucan.com has a link on the bottom left there to our YouTube page. We, uh, we review obscure movies with famous stars in them. And uh, all of our backdated archive stuff is there as well. If you want to find the rubber episode or anything else. Um, we also reviewed um, uh, Dangerous Method by David Cronenberg as well, if you, if you guys want to check that out for sure. Until next time, thanks very much for listening. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews.